Those guys, those guys and girl work really hard uh, to make sure worship happens for us each and every Sunday. We here at Grace believe that Jesus is better. We believe the entirety of the Bible teaches us that Jesus is better. We believe that as we look today at the resurrection of Jesus, that we see how much better he is and how much more he provides. We believe that in Jesus, better is available. I want you to turn with your in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, if you've got that with you. And as you're turning, I will let you know, if you are unfamiliar with me, I am... Uh, this is my one-year anniversary, so uh, pretty fun, right? Appreciate all you guys showing up, and and with that, like I, I've shared with our congregation on, on a pretty regular basis the things that I love and the things that I don't love. Uh, one of the things that confuses me is soccer. I'm confused by the fact that it happens. Uh, I'm confused by people's uh, love for it. I have a best friend and uh, in Chattanooga, where I'm originally from, and he loves soccer. He is a huge soccer player, so that means he's 5'8". And as someone who loves soccer fully, my, my friend Kevin would play in an indoor intramural athletic soccer league until he was in his four, almost in his 40s. And I remember when both of us were single guys that he would always try to get me to come watch him play indoor intramural soccer because that's what best friends do when they don't have girlfriends or wives. And he would ask me over and over, Chad, will you come watch me play soccer? And I always had really good excuses like, no. I need to go wash my hair. I don't understand communism. How could I ever understand soccer? Eventually, he wore me down. Just, can I get an amen if you get those friends who wear you down? And when he wore me down, I show up at the soccer arena, and there are two sets of bleachers. On one set of bleachers are all of the moms and dads and wives and children of people who are on the soccer field in this co-ed league. And they're having a conversation about where we're going to go to dinner if the, we don't have to go to the emergency room. And on the other set of bleachers is one lady sitting beside herself, screaming and yelling at the top of her lungs. Unfortunately, she's the only person in the room that I knew because she was my best friend Kevin's mother. And when she saw me walk in, she said, Hey, Chad! And I did that thing where you duck down and try to hide so people don't see you. But I eventually sat beside her and I listened to her chant and cheer for her 30-year-old son as he played indoor intramural soccer in an arena that smelled like a foot. Let's not miss that. And she's chanting and cheering for him. And not only is she chanting and cheering, she is referencing him by his nickname from when he was six years old. So this mother is yelling, Go, Big K. I guess it could be worse, but it could totally be better. Kicked and really smart soccer instructions, like 
Kick the ball, Big K. Don't let them score. The thing comes to its conclusion and we're headed out the door and Kevin walks up to me and does what friends do. He thanked me for me being there and then he, his mother made eye contact with me and I tried to look away but it was very much like Medusa. Like you were just kind of locked in. And she said, yes, I'm so glad you were here. I can't wait to see you next week. I started praying for the rapture right there. I don't want to be here next week. But I couldn't tell her a fib. So all week long I planned. I'm not going by myself. I'm finding other friends. I'm going to make them go with me. On the day of the soccer game, these friends gathered in my apartment and we made signs for this indoor intramural soccer game. And we took a broom that I had not used because I was single. We took a big poster board and wrote the words, Go Big, on it. And we bought a box of Special K cereal and threw the cereal away because it tastes like dirt. And then we put the cereal box on top of the broom. So we had a Go Big K sign. And every time Kevin would do anything on the soccer field, we would wave this above our heads. Chanting and cheering for this friend. And he, he was distracted, so he let people score multiple times, much to his mother's chagrin. But we're chanting and cheering for And at the end of the game, he asked us for the sign. He wanted to keep it. But we know that if I were to give him the option... And I said, Kevin, you can have us on, on Thursday nights in that horrible smelling arena. Or you can play in a professional soccer league. Not an American one, because those are terrible. But in a professional soccer league, like in Europe or something. They call it Euro League. It's creative. Kevin, you can have us who do not understand the sport, or, or you can have all of these players and coaches watching you every single week. Kevin, you can have us on Thursday night really thinking more about nachos than we're thinking about you. Or you can play in the event they tell me is the biggest sporting event in the world called the World Cup every four years. You can have worse or you can have better. You can have less or you can have more. I mean, we know how this works, right? He breaks my soccer sign in front of me. Because you always want better. When we look into the resurrection of Jesus, we see that that's what he offers us. He offers us better. In Luke chapter 24, we pick up in a story where a group of, of people uh, are processing the death of Jesus and what seems to be the, the stolen body of Jesus. In Luke 24, 1 through 12, we, we see the story of the ladies at the tomb. And in verse, and in verse 13 of Luke chapter 24... 
we see the road to Emmaus. And on the road to Emmaus, we see an interaction with Jesus where they realize that he is more and better than they thought that he was. Verses 13 through 17. It doesn't start out that way. Go with me. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. I told you. About seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and he went with them. So, a few theories about Jesus, one of which is completely bizarre, is that Jesus on the cross did not actually die. This is a a, a wrong theory, so just go with me. Uh, But Jesus did not actually die, but he was beaten and bloodied, and they took him off the cross, and he was just in a coma for a couple of days. It's called the swoon theory. It's pretty terrible. And one of the ways that we see in Scripture that it is so terrible is what happens here. These people are ahead of Jesus, and Jesus puts on his sprinting Nikes, and he runs up beside them. That's what the Bible says to us. They, we look in verse 15. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus draws near to them, and he went with them. Which has to be kind of weird if you're having a conversation and some random person walks up behind you. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. They didn't know it was Jesus, just some rando. Verse 17. And he said to them, Hey, um, what's the conversation that you're holding with each other? What's the conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And the Bible says, They stood still and they looked sad. Well, why were they sad? We have to think about why they're sad to realize what's happened here. Uh, The reason they were sad is that in their hearts they were defeated. They were destroyed, if you will. There was a solemnness to the scenario because the Jesus who they believed in and the Jesus who they trusted as their deliverer was gone. That's actually what Cleopas says to Jesus in verse 18. Then one of them, sad Cleopas, answered Jesus, Are you the only one? Are you the only one to visit Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And Jesus, playing along, says, well, what things? And they replied to Jesus, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. He's a a man who was a prophet. He was mighty in deed and, and word before God and all the people. This Jesus who we were following, we loved him. We thought he was pretty fantastic. He said good things. He did great things. He was a pretty amazing person. And our entire lives, we've been waiting for someone to be sent by God who would say and do great things, who was an amazing person, who would lead us away from Roman captivity. We don't want to be captives to Rome anymore. So, for point of reference, it's April, tax season. And as we're looming, as tax season looms on us, we're dealing with, will we get money back so we can go on that vacation? Will we have to pay money in so we have to sell a child? What is going to have to happen for us at this season? For the Jewish people who were oppressed by Rome, one of the primary ways that they were held captive was that Rome would tax them 90%. So... For those of us who aren't mathematicians, 
That means if you make $50,000 a year, you only keep $5,000. And if you did not want to pay that, you did not have a weird interaction with the IRS, they sent in a tax collector who was a Jewish trader, like Zacchaeus, wee little man, and a wee little man was he, but... Zacchaeus or the other tax collector would allow men to be arrested, women and children to be injured. They want to be free of Rome because Rome is a cruel oppressor and even if the oppressor is not cruel who doesn't really want to be free Jesus said good things he did good things but Jesus did not finish the task finishing task is so exhilarating you're doing your laundry at your house we all know what it feels like to round the corner. We have a bunch of kids, like seven or eight kids at my house. When you round the corner on that last basket full of socks and it's almost complete. Or, or when you're mowing the grass and you're in the last corner of the yard where you're going to finish your last strip. Jesus said good things, did good things, but Jesus did not do what we thought Jesus was going to do because we desire victory. If you're a note taker, you've got a sheet of paper there to look at. We as a people desire victory. But the Bible tells us that Jesus does better than that. Jesus offers more than that. Paul would eventually say that Jesus would deliver it. You, you don't have to look this up. I'll, I'll read this. You feel free to look at it on your own time this week. When Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, then comes to the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he puts all of his enemies under his feet. Jesus, in his death on the cross, has put an exclamation point on that action in his resurrection. The resurrection is him saying to us that God has offered for us a hope that is not just earthly in its value because that's what they want, right? All of us love an earthly victory. Who likes to lose? Nobody. If you like to lose, that we need to talk through that. I hate to lose. I hate to watch upward sports where nobody loses because everyone loses. We can work through that later. If you had a problem with that, I'm going to go. I'm sorry. Uh, we want earthly wins. But Jesus offers eternal ones. This eternal victory is declared in the resurrection of Jesus. Not only do we see that Jesus that Jesus would bring victory to us, that he delivers it to us. We see that 
The way that we view death is different than Jesus. In your notes, it's, it's on line three. We dread death. Go with me. Verse 25. And he said to them, this is Jesus, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? All of us are afraid of death. It is a nagging idea in my mind for any of us to think what will take place when this is over. No matter how good of a life we've lived or how bad of a life we're living, what will take place when this is over? We dread death, yet Jesus destroys it. I'm about to take you on a trip to the epicenter of nerddom. I like books. And I like stories. I like um, fantasy stories. One of my favorite writers is a guy named Tolkien. You may have heard of him. He wrote those cool Lord of the Rings movies. And Tolkien... And and lots more. And, And Tolkien came up with a concept that... He took a word that we know. The word catastrophe... And the idea of catastrophe, and all of us would say, I mean, just raise your hand if you're with me. If you think catastrophe is bad, could you raise your hand? All right, it's like I'm leading a small nation in here. Uh, catastrophe, this really terrible concept, and he made a word on top of that called eucatastrophe. E-U, catastrophe. And that word, this term from Tolkien, means this. A turn of events where the protagonist, the the hero of the story, overcomes a terrible, impending doom. And we see this throughout lots of our literature. Lots of books that we read, we see the idea of the hero of the story going through a terrible event, only to come out on top. Here are some examples of that. You have Gandalf the Grey in the Lord of the Rings books. Not to be confused with any other wizard. Gandalf the Grey, he... Spoiler alert, this book's like 80 years old though. He dies in a battle with the Balrog only to return as Gandalf the White. Not avoiding death, but going through death to deliver. Harry Potter... When Harry dies at the hands of Voldemort, he comes back because in Harry's death, Voldemort has actually destroyed himself. And if you've got problems with Harry Potter, email me at jared at (laughs) gbctx.org. In C.S. Lewis's book, The, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you have Aslan. The lion. Picture Mufasa, but bigger and more like God. And when Aslan is destroyed by the white witch, in so doing, he broke the curse that held humanity captive. All of these concepts from these very wordy, very British authors are glimpses of the story of Jesus. Because Jesus destroys death, 
not by avoiding his own death, but by going through it and being resurrected on the other side. And for those of us who have a fear of death, our hope is not that we will do the same as Jesus, but that in Jesus we are taken to the other side with him. The resurrection of Jesus is central to who we are as Christians. Uh, we, we see this, the, the last enemy in, in Corinthians to be destroyed is death. God has put all things under the feet of Jesus. All things. Showing us that Jesus reigns and rules over every single thing in all of creation. We also see this. That Jesus is better because while we may recall the scriptures, Jesus reveals them. I don't know how you grew up, but I grew up in a church. I'm, I'm 40 years old. I know, I look spry. And we had this felt board in our church. And so if you've got some church background, you know how the felt board works, right? There's this magical bag of felt people. And they just tell you all these felt Bible stories with it. Like, boom, burning bush. Oh, I remember that. But the next generation did not learn from felt. We decided to teach them with vegetables. So, you have these stories that we recall. And some of you guys are even reminiscing right now about how you learned these stories. Vacation Bible school, Thursday night. They made a cross out of popsicle sticks. You signed up. But sometimes we read through the Bible and, and we see these stories and especially with no help, we, we don't where are these tied together? Where are these connected? Are they connected? Because look, I've been teaching the Bible for twenty years. There's some super weird stuff in here. The Bible tells us this. That while we would look at these stories and just be able to reminisce because of Jesus, He reveals us in full what those things mean. Again, we moved here a year ago and we, we bought a house because you've got to live somewhere. And thankfully, um, we had a, a contractor from, from our church and we started to interact with, with them and they're very, very helpful to us. And we move in. Two months in, there's a storm that comes up in the neighborhood. And probably your neighborhood too, I'll be real. And when this storm came up, lightning struck, the lights were out in our house. And it was May, which meant that in Lake Jackson, it was 109 degrees with 140% humidity. The lights eventually come back on, thankfully. Appreciate you, Swain. And, or sane, or whoever runs my electricity. And when the lights came back on, I had to go through the process of setting 
random clocks. Now, I know we don't really use clocks that much, but I need the one on the microwave to be set, and I need the one on the oven to be set. And I sat there for a few moments. My wife wasn't there because she can figure stuff out. And I just tried to work to get the microwave on the exact same time as the oven. You cannot do it. It is impossible. And after I have gotten it as close, gotten it as close as I can, my oldest son, Shepherd, creeps into the kitchen area and he said, Hey, you mean hey, sir? How come the oven says 207 and the microwave says 208? I said, well, buddy, daddy did all he could. I read through stuff I needed to read through. I prayed about it. That's all I can do. He looked at me and said, why don't you call Miss Michelle? Michelle is our contractor. And in my little son's mind, he believes about my house that Michelle's going to know everything that needs to be known about it. And here's why. She built the house. The cabinets are where they are because she made sure the cabinets are where they are. The granite on the counter is the color that it is because Michelle chose it. Far and long before I ever knew anything about that house, Michelle had meticulously walked through it over and over and over. She had told men to fix things that she did not like. She made sure that the paint was the color that it is. Before I knew I would have carpet in my bedroom, she had chosen the color of the carpet. The layout of my house has nothing to do with me and all to do with her because for her, this is something that she put together. And in the mind of a nine-year-old, now he's ten, if anybody can understand how to make something in this house work, it's not you, it's her. Jesus in Luke has these men at a place where they're asking where he's asking them the question did you just miss it was it necessary for me to die in verse 26 and in verse 27 they still don't know who he is Jesus begins with Moses and all the prophets Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. All of the guys who would tell you anything about God. And as these prophets. And as Jesus walks through these things, he lets them know that every bit of this book is about me. And you can't understand how anything works here if I'm not part of it. And here's what Jesus says. He lets them know how the whole of Scripture finds its resting place and its meaning in Him. The point of the Bible is Jesus. John Calvin, theologian, says this. 
that Jesus is Isaac. He's the beloved son of the father who was offered as a sacrifice, but is nevertheless, he did not succumb to the power of death. That Jesus is the good and compassionate brother Joseph, coat of many colors, sold into slavery, who in his glory was not ashamed to acknowledge his brothers, however lowly, and and abject their condition. Jesus is the great sacrifice and Bishop Melchizedek. We will have a Bible study about that when I understand it. And who was offered as an eternal sacrifice once and for all. That Jesus is the sovereign lawgiver Moses, writing his law on the table of every human of our hearts by his spirit. Jesus is the faithful captain and guide that we find in Joshua to lead us to the promised land. Jesus is the victorious and noble King David, bringing by his hand all rebellion, rebellious power to subjection under his feet. Jesus is the magnificent and triumphant King Solomon, governing his kingdom in peace and prosperity. Jesus is the strong and powerful Samson, who by his death has overwhelmed all of his enemies. These are but a few of the felt board vegetable stories that we know, where in effect we see this, that your Bible and your stories and my Bible and my stories they are about Jesus and if you see the Bible apart from Jesus then you don't see the Bible because Jesus is our hope he really gives them an elevator speech as they're cruising down the Emmaus road this is what the Bible is about in these few minutes We also see this, that Jesus is better because we hunger to be satisfied. Yet Jesus holds our satisfaction. Verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further, like a pump fake, if you will. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. For it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at a table with them, he broke the bread, and blessed it, and broke it, and gave to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. He vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures to us? Did not, and they rose that same hour, and they returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered around together. And they said this. Now remember, earlier they were saying, Hey, he's a mighty prophet, good in word, good in deed. He does cool stuff. Walked on water. Fed 20,000 people with that Captain D's Happy Meal. Jesus is pretty awesome. But here they say, the Lord, the Lord has risen indeed. He appe- just like he appeared to Simon. They told him what happened. Jesus provides satisfaction for us. He holds it in his hand. He holds satisfaction for those of us who would see and know the resurrection. That that resurrection will be something that causes us to stand up. That meets us in the midst of our earthly needs for the sake of eternal ones. 
Paul says this in Corinthians, for, for as in Adam, all die, every one of us, me, you, all of us. But in Jesus, all will be made alive. Because Jesus is eternal. Eternity is something that every one of us are going to have to face. Will our eternity be one where we are alive in Jesus forever? Or will it be one where we're separated from Him? I referenced Paul a few times. I'm not sure how familiar you are with him. Uh, he likes to write a lot about Jesus. So much so that two-thirds of the New Testament he, he wrote. But he did not always love Jesus. At one point, he persecuted people who believed in Jesus, so that wouldn't be good for us. He, he killed people who believed in Jesus. However, there was a day where this Paul, he, he met Jesus. Literally. Met with Jesus. And he had this conversion experience where Jesus caused him to be blind, caused him to be in need, took away all power that he had. And from that point, he changed the way that he understood the stories of the people who were, he was chasing, jailing, and killing. This did not happen because of some symbolic resurrection. It did not happen because Jesus was simply resurrected in our hearts. That doesn't change the course of a man's life. An idea of a fictitious hope that we can ascribe to. What we find as people who look into this story, the story of Jesus, the story of how Jesus is resurrected, that provides hope, not because there is symbolism for us to see, but because there is a life for us to hold on to and live because of. Symbolism doesn't shift us. He saw the resurrected Jesus just like the women at the tomb. He saw the resurrected Jesus just like Cleopas and his traveling partner right before he disappeared. He saw the literal resurrected Jesus that we at Grace Bible gather together every Sunday to worship. He saw the resurrected Jesus that has changed the hearts of people in this room. He saw the resurrected Jesus that offers hope for marriages that are failing. He saw the resurrected Jesus that offered hope for parents who are dealing with a kid who's about to cause them to lose their mind. He saw the resurrected Jesus and in seeing him could live for nothing else. What's the resurrection of Jesus doing to you? How's the resurrection of Jesus impacting and affecting you? Because for those who saw him, experienced him, met with him, heard him, broke bread with him, they realized that he was more and better than anything they could have hoped for. And that changed the course of human history. My prayer is that it will change yours and is changing yours. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?
so thankful you guys would come to spend today with us, to worship with us. If you're with us and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you've never trusted Him, you've never believed Him, I want you to know a couple of things. We've been praying that God would work in your hearts while you're here. We have some people who meet before worship every Sunday to pray that God would work in our hearts. Our life groups exist to help you to facilitate how God is working in you from day to day. All that we do here at Grace is for the purpose of us seeing that Jesus is better and that our lives have been called to more because of that. And if you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, here's what I want you to know. I'm, I'm going to be at the back of the room. I'll be at the back of the room. And if you need to talk to me, feel free just to kind of slip out and come back there. If you need to bring a friend, that's fantastic. We would love to be able to show you what the Bible says about a relationship with Jesus who really changes lives because His resurrection is real. Who really overcomes the sin in all of us that would lead to death if not for Him being the champion who delivers us. Who changes the course of our hearts and, and, re, and shifts the shape of our lives. We want to be a church that is living as if Jesus is on display. So if you need me, I'll be at the back of the room. We can talk about what it means for you to put your faith in Jesus. That you would know that you get to say, Jesus, I need you. Because I can't do anything about my sin, but because of my resurrection, you already have. Of your resurrection, you already have. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you that we get to worship you. We thank you that your word is full of truth. And I pray that as we continue to worship you in song, that that truth will be echoed over and over by this gathering of people. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Would you stand with me?